This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, UAW members in Alabama end their strike with a win, while UAW members at the Big Three reject Ford's pleading to end the strike. We also talk about what's happening in the Alabama Democratic Party, all that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. 844-899-TVLR is the number. 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and we will be responding to a voicemail left last week in overtime. That is the second half of our program that is online only. So if you're listening to us on the radio, then find us online. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, we're going to continue the stream uh, for another hour and a half after we get off of the radio, and you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can follow us anywhere where you find anything online, especially at our website, tvlr.fm. You can bookmark that page, stay up to date on the latest articles and newsletters that we release. Last week in Southern Labor and Boss Watch come out as a newsletter every single week uh, on the homepage of our website and your email inbox. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all at the Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, make a one-time donation or buy our merch. You can do that on our website, tvlr.fm, tvlr.fm slash donate to make a one-time or recurring contribution, tvlr.fm slash store to uh, buy our merch and patreon.com slash the valley labor report to become a patron if you're a member of a union then think about getting your local to sponsor the show we couldn't do it without our union partners that's right and let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. As most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or a first-time listener. We appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. 
Absolutely. Um, and just to kick off the show, uh, the same thing is dominating the news as last week, and we don't have anything else to add other than, of course, our thoughts uh, continue to stay uh, with the people in Gaza who <clears throat> who are being uh, brutally assaulted by the Israeli government right now. Um, and the latest victim of the Israeli government is a Christian church, the third oldest in the world. Uh, the Israeli government confirmed that uh, they hit this church. And among the victims, among the dead, is the uh, some of the family of former Republican Representative Justin Amash. Um, he is of Palestinian descent, and he still has some pe- uh, some family in Gaza uh, who are now among the dead. So um, just terrible, terrible things happening. And um, it is uh, absolutely not anti-Semitic to want that to end, <laughs> funny enough. Um that's the only thing that we have to say about that, though. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into Last Week in Southern Labor. That is a segment that we do every week where we talk about what happened in the South. Southern workers are always on the move. We are always winning union elections, uh, winning grievances, having internal uh, union affairs. And so we like to talk about it. So here's what workers in the U.S. South and her colonies were up to in the week ending on the 20th of October. In new election filings, we had 41 workers at Republic Services in Calhoun, Georgia. They filed for a union election with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 728. 19 workers at the Oklahoma Policy Institute in Tulsa, Oklahoma, filed for a union election with the United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 1000. The employer filed for a union election after a majority of the seven employees at Repro Rising in Alexandria, Virginia, showed majority support for unionization with their independent union, Repro Rising Union. The employer filed for a union election after a majority of the 40 employees at Drummock Incorporated in Lorton, Virginia, showed majority support for unionization with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, anti-union workers at Valero Services in West Memphis, Arkansas, where the United Steelworkers International Union represents seven workers, filed a petition to decertify the union. 26 workers at American Electric Power Service Corporation in Hurricane West Virginia filed for a union election with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9. 78. The employer filed for a union election after a majority of the 20 workers at Starbucks in Midwest City, Oklahoma, showed majority support for unionization with Starbucks Workers United. The employer also filed for a union election after a majority of the 21 workers at a Starbucks in Houston, Texas, showed uh, support for unionization with Starbucks Workers United. Anti-union workers at Pepinia in San Sebastian, Puerto Rico, where the Federation Central de Trabajadores represents eight workers there, filed a petition to decertify the union. Fourteen workers at Johnson Controls Fire Protection in Chattanooga, Tennessee, filed a union election, filed for a union election with the United Association UA Local 669. We had a few election results. Workers at Bourbon Dog in Burlington, North Carolina, voted in favor of unionization with the Tech Repair. Union Local 1. Workers at Starbucks in Jonesboro, Georgia voted in favor of unionization with Starbucks Workers United. And workers at Ocean Point Terminals in Christiansted, Virgin Islands voted against unionization with the United Steelworkers International (coughs) Union uh, USW by one vote. Mm. Hate to see that. Absolutely hate to see that. Uh, Updates and strikes and bargaining. Like I mentioned, 188 UAW members at ZF Manufacturing, which is a Mercedes parts manufacturer in Alabama, end their strike on Monday after having voted in favor of a new tentative agreement 98% that eliminates tiers, increases wages, and adds vacation time. 
So very happy for those folks. Memphis soy protein production workers with the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers international union, BCTGM Local 390G, have been on strike since June. Last week, they took their strike to New York to the headquarters of the company, the International Flavors and Fragrances, in coordination with the New York City Labor Council uh, that brought out several unions in support, including Richard Bensinger. I saw him in some of the pictures. He has been a uh, big supporter of the Starbucks Workers Union. 4,000 UAW members at Mack Trucks continue their strike. UAW President Sean Fain said that after members voted down the contract, the company attempted to rearrange the deck chairs to get a revote. This is something that has happened in the past when both union leadership and the company feel that membership is ahead of their skis, including in the UAW, I'm sad to say. But Sean Fain made clear that those days were over in the UAW and the union will require real movement before taking a deal back to the membership. Shangri-La dispensary workers with UFCW Local 655 in Columbia, Missouri are still on strike. They began in May. Three Brothers Coffee workers with UFCW Local 1995 in Nashville, Tennessee have been on strike since June. In uh, policy, politics, and legislation, Starbucks is suing Starbucks Workers United for copyright infringement, stemming in particular from their support of Palestine. In internal union affairs, Yvonne Brooks was elected president of the Georgia AFL-CIO, the first woman to hold that position, and the second black woman state federation president. So congratulations to Sister Brooks. Look forward to working with her in the future. Uh, With that out of the way, we're going to go ahead and go to our first break. We will be right back and give you uh, some details on what happened down in Tuscaloosa with the ZF manufacturing workers and uh, talk about some politicians' responses. Uh, some of those were some of those were good, not nothing super spicy, uh, but definitely not as good as they could have been. So we're going to be talking about that. Be right back, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. 
Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law, the name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host Adam Keller. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. If you would like to uh, join the show. We recorded a couple of ads last week, but we haven't been able to finish production with them and get them into the rotation, so I will tell you them now. Um, We got Two new sponsors of the program, really appreciative of them. Benefit Architects is one. Benefit Architects has proudly supported union members and union-made products for over 35 years. If you're a federal employee and an AFGE member, you are eligible for hundreds of dollars in money-saving benefits, including group life, dental, and AFLAC insurance. If you're a union member but don't work for the federal government, you may still qualify for several money-saving policies. So call Tate Heuer at 
6769 for details and to enroll. Again, that is Tate Hewer at 256-215-6769 for details and to enroll in the many policies that Benefit Architects has to offer. We got a comment from uh, Jared of IFPTE Local 27 representing uh, NASA scientists and engineers here in Huntsville. And uh, before I get to his comment from the chat, I just want to congratulate the new president of the local representing about a thousand scientists and engineers at the Marshall Space Flight Center. Uh, so uh, W's in the chat for Jared, also Constantin. Garfield Svosky <laughs> in, uh, in the YouTube chat. Uh, congratulations to him. Look forward to working closely with him um, as president of the uh, as president of the union over there. I know he's going to do great things. But he asked in the chat, didn't the Medieval Times Company... Oh, also, I just want to mention one more thing. Uh, you know, they had the elections. He was elected president. The entire executive board at that union is now under 35. So that is very, very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. Okay. So his uh, his um, comment is, didn't the Medieval Times Company also sue the middle Medieval Times Union over copyright infringement? And the NLRB tossed it out. It was tossed out, not by the NLRB, because the copyright suit was not filed with the NLRB. It was filed with, you know, district court or something like that. But the judge did uh, throw it out with U.S. District Court's Judge William J. Martini disagreeing, calling the theory that, uh, you know, so the theory, the thing that, you know, both Starbucks and Medieval Times a year ago was arguing is that, oh, people are going to confuse us. People are going to think that either we're the same entity or the union is part of us or that uh, the company is endorsing the union or whatever. The district judge uh, disagreed, calling that theory entirely conclusory, saying consumers are not likely to believe the two parties are endorsed by Medieval Times. Um, so, uh, all, and also noting that medieval, medieval times in their lawsuit didn't cite a single instance in which a consumer was confused. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was dismissed by medieval times. I expected to be for Starbucks as well. Let's hope so. Yep. Um, DL Cindero says, Jacob, is that TVLR cap you're wearing back in stock? It is not, but, um, it will be in the next round of merch uh that we order i anticipate yeah i anticipate that will be our next merch order uh we do have some really cool t-shirts in stock right now so definitely yep. check it out at tvlr.fm slash store all right so let's talk about this the headline is that zf manufacturing workers in tuscaloosa alabama who make mercedes parts they are mercedes parts supplier uh they have been on strike now for a month and they got a tentative agreement last week and a few days after they got the tentative agreement they voted 98 percent in favor of the tentative agreement they go back to work on monday and uh so i would say 98 percent in favor of that uh the workers are obviously happy with it i call that a win uh very happy for them the strike issues included eliminating tiers where workers who started after a certain date have a less lucrative benefits package. Um, they wanted general raises. Currently, the starting rate at the plant is only fifteen fifty an hour, um, even for first-tier workers. And they wanted uh, better health care costs. So they were able 
to win tier elimination by the end of the contract, uh, October 2027, so it's a four-year contract, uh, 23 an hour for all production and logistics by the end of the CBA, uh, and that is going to equal a uh, $4.20 an hour raise for tier two workers. Uh, so that's uh, good for them. Really happy uh, for that. And they got an additional holiday. Uh, so there's obviously a few other things, but um, but those are kind of the highlights. Uh, happy for them, and um, glad they're going to be able to go back to work on Monday. I mentioned that I spoke to some politicians about that, and so what I did about a week and a half ago is I emailed every state representative and state senator in and around Tuscaloosa. So I think I sent off maybe a dozen emails um, maybe like seven or eight. Yeah, it was like seven or eight state representatives and three state senators. Most of them did not respond. That's kind of the way that these things go. But, you know, so I said in the email, I, I went over the strike issues. The They want to eliminate tiers. They want to have a higher starting rate, and they want to, um, uh, you know, working on some health care costs. Um, I mentioned that the issue was separate from the larger strike and contract negotiations between the UAW and the big three automakers. So I had three questions. I had three questions for the politicians. I said, regarding this issue, could you please answer the following? One, do you support the workers in their strike for a better contract? Two, have you been to or will you go to the picket line? And three, is there any legislation or policy you have pursued or will pursue uh, in the legislature to support or oppose striking workers generally? Why or why not? And I also said to feel free to include any other thoughts you might have on this issue specifically or workers' issues generally. <clears throat> so the Democratic representative, so this is the guy that represents the plant, okay? He's a Democrat, represents the plant, A.J. McCampbell, artist J. McCampbell. Are you familiar with him, Adam? I'm not, at all? no. Artist J. McCampbell, A.J. McCampbell, Democratic representative, represents the district that the strike is on. Uh, could not get him at all. Sent him uh, an email and the email on the state legislative site is wrong. Uh, it sends back, oh, this email doesn't exist. Lovely. Yeah, so that's super, super competent governance. And this is a guy who clearly cares about, you know, hearing from his constituents, right? Clearly. Uh, called his phone, and there is no option to leave a voicemail. <laughs> uh, so, again, super great. I found his personal Facebook and sent him a Facebook message. No response. So, um, so yeah. I don't know, like... It shouldn't be that hard to contact yeah. an elected official, a state representative, who should be responding to constituents. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. disappointing. Yeah, super, super disappointing. Uh, the state senator whose district the strike took place in was a Republican, Gerald Allen. And uh, a similar thing, but at least... His um, his email didn't come back that it doesn't exist. Okay, so this e this guy's email presumably exists. <laughs> okay, so that's you know that's a plus. Uh, and also, I was able to leave him a voicemail. So you know, uh, ahead of the Democrat here on the <laughs> on those issues, but still no response. No response from Republican State Senator Gerald Allen. House District, House District 16 is in the middle of a special election, so I sent an uh, email 
a phone call and a Facebook message to the two Republicans who are in the runoff for the Republican nomination. No response from them. Senator Bobby Singleton, Democrat, near the district, near, you know, his district is near the strike. Emailed, called him, left a voicemail, no response. Republican Senator Greg Reed emailed, called him on the phone, no response. Represent Democratic Representative Chris England, and I was surprised by this because I actually have his personal phone number and I called his personal phone number and he did not reply. Which is bonkers because he's been in, you know, I, I don't know what his deal is. He was in support of, you know, he was vocally supportive of the mine workers uh, near his district. He spoke at some of their events, so I don't know why he didn't respond, but he did not. Send him an email, phone call, no response. Uh, representative, Republican Representative Bill Lamb did respond. He said, uh, quote, I always support management and labor being able to negotiate the best deal for them. Uh, but I've never walked a picket line and I don't want to. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, uh, at least a little bit honest. I appreciate yep. being, uh, to the point there. Democratic representative Curtis Travis, uh, says that he is in support of the workers, uh, for a better contract. He has, uh, he has never been to a picket line and he has no plans to go, nor does he have any intention to sponsor any legislation in support of or in opposition to striking workers generally. Democrat, a Democrat says this, a Democrat, I've never been to a picket line. I have no plans to. I have no intention of sponsoring any legislation to benefit striking workers. A Democrat. Republican Representative Ron Bolton, he responded, and he probably, honestly, honestly, he may have had the best response. So here's what he said in his email to me. I do support the workers' right to pursue better wages, benefits, and working conditions. I have not been to the picket line and do not plan to go, as I believe that the best way for the workers to achieve their goals is active engagement with the company in the negotiation process, and they know better than I do how to accomplish that. I have not sponsored any legislation and have no immediate plans to. Unions helped build the American economy, and I support workers' rights to better their pay and work environment. So, there you go. That but, line about unions helped build the American economy was kind of surprising to me, coming from a Republican. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, so. I mean, Alabama Republicans in the legislature are not known to be labor-friendly, uh, to put it mildly. So, yeah, uh, right. yeah, that is a pleasant surprise. Um, hopefully that means, you know, there's room to, to work with a gentleman like that yeah. on certain issues, uh, perhaps. You yeah. know, that's good to know. Um I, I hear you on the disappointment in terms of other responses, uh, because we are seeing in other states where mm -hmm. legislators are sponsoring legislation to support striking workers, such right. as including them in public benefits, uh, right. unemployment benefits or food stamps. Um, you know, things like that could make a big difference mm -hmm. when you are fighting these epic struggles against very powerful, wealthy corporations um, and, and we see where sometimes the corporations will try to starve out the workers and wait them out. Uh, so it, it would be nice to see legislators taking that problem seriously. Um, there's also other issues to address, of course, in terms of protections of constitutional rights of speech and assembly yep. uh, at the picket line and elsewhere. 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot that could be done and, and should be done. And um, I would like to see a little bit more engagement from legislators because we hear a lot about them from uh, all corners of both parties about mm-hmm. being pro-business, you know, being champions right. of business, being uh, business friendly, uh, championing workforce development. And, you know, the thing is, most of us are not business. We are not right. business owners. Most right. of us are workers. We work for the businesses. Uh, so where are our champions? Yep, exactly. Uh, very unfortunate. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it's another... Uh, it, it's another thing, you know, they should support workers, striking workers, workers generally, because it's the right thing to do, I think. Um, but also, especially in this environment, I have never understood why, well, I mean, I think the understanding is that they just, they don't care. These are, these are Democrats who are in gerrymandered districts, uh, districts with like 80, 90% Democratic population. And so they don't, they have like basically zero incentive, you know, they're, they're comfortable in their seat. They don't feel like anybody's going to challenge them, anything like this. Um, and so that they don't feel a need to do anything, but from a perspective of like, if I were to be a democratic politician, politician who uh, cared about not only my office, but about my office actually having power, <laughs> if I were to be a person like that, there is uh, no reason at all, and all of the reason to wrap yourself in the labor movement right now. That may not have been the case politically, you know, maybe two decades ago. Um, But that's not the environment that we're in right now. Uh, There would be every political benefit, in addition to doing the right thing, every political benefit in wrapping yourself in the labor movement, in the language of uh, class struggle, and supporting the working class against the owning class. And, uh, And they're just not doing it. They're not doing it. And I think the reason in Alabama is, is what I said. These people don't care um, about increasing the power of their seats. They have their seats. They feel comfortable in their seats. They don't think they're going to be challenged. And so they are, you know, so they're complacent. Uh, but if they were ever interested in increasing the power that their seat has, then that is what they would be doing. Well, to your point, I mean, let's just remind folks that opinion polls are pretty clear that, what, right. three-fourths of the American public supports labor right now? Ninety percent of workers under 30. Right. 90 of per- American people under 30. Right. Ninety percent of Americans who are young support labor. Um, what is the approval rating of the Democratic Party? Right. It's not 75 percent. It's certainly not 90 percent among young people. Um, so yeah, that I think just really, really reiterates your point there. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand it. I really do not understand it, but you know, whatever, I'm not a politician. So, (laughs) right. right. Uh, so the big news always, uh, uh, typically the big three, what's going on with the UAW and the big three. So we're going to get to that, uh, right now. And the, the big updates around, you know, the last week is the conflict between Bill Ford and Sean Fain. And, you know, I just think those two names, the two people, in many ways really, really encapsulate the conflict. What is going on here? Who is the fight between? Because Bill 
has his position because of his parents, parents, parents. <laughs> I mean, this guy is like a feud, literally like a feudal lord. His parents had the company, their parents had the company, and their parents had the company. So therefore, he should have the company and have enormous power over hundreds of thousands of workers directly, millions of workers indirectly in the supply chain, tens of millions of workers in the American and global economy because of the situation of his birth, <laughs> okay? And even if you buy the argument, which I do not, but let's just say I did, even if you buy the argument that if you start a business, it should be yours in perpetuity to do with what you will, no matter who else or how many others have contributed to the project or what they have contributed to the project in terms of time, in terms of their life, in terms of bodily harm, tears, money, no matter what anybody else contributes to the project, if you are the one that begins it, it should be yours in perpetuity to do with what you will without input of anybody else. Even if you buy that argument, the idea that this ownership ought extend four generations <laughs> while generations of workers still have little to no say about the direction of the company, right? I mean, at, by this time, millions of working people have contributed. It is not by virtue of the, the accomplishments of Bill Ford or his parents or his parents or, 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 or his parents or their parents or their parents, right? It's because of the millions of workers that have contributed to Ford. And yet... Neither them nor their descendants have any say by virtue of their birth. There are a couple of them that have been able to work their way up the corporate ladder, right? But by virtue of the fact that I am a Ford worker and I or I was born to a Ford worker, I have no say in the direction of the company. But this guy, by virtue of his birth, he does. The executive chairman. In, I just, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you defend that. It doesn't make sense to me. It literally doesn't make sense to me. He went to a private high school. Then he went to Princeton. He got a master's degree in business. He is a literal billionaire because of his family. And Sean is the grandson of multiple UAW members. Remember, that didn't give him a right to control anybody's life. He began as an electrician in Kokomo, Indiana. He was elected. He's been elected to multiple positions, but now he is the first ever international president of the UAW to be elected directly from the members, by the members. So, I mean, this is, it's, that is really the conflict. That's the difference in the nutshell. These are the two sides. And the sides represent, should working people have the power in society? Or should we be bossed around by people who make money simply because they have money? That's the conflict.
And I know what side I'm on. Anyway, so, you know, that's just, it's kind of an interesting encapsulation of the entire saga that's been unraveling over the past several months in this last week of back and forth. So, you know, the updates surround the back and forth between Ford and Fane, and it started when Ford gave an address early in the week, and it was really hailed as this big deal because even though Bill Ford has been part of negotiations, of every negotiation for the past 30 years or so, he's never publicly commented. So on one hand, you know, it is a big deal. Like, factually speaking, this has never happened before, and now it's happening. Wow, that's a big deal. But <laughs> because of everything above, right, that he has his position because of the nature of his birth. It just really burns me up <laughs> that we have to give a damn what this guy says, again, because of his great-granddaddy, <laughs> right? Nobody cares what I have to say because of my great-granddaddy, because my great-granddaddy was a nobody. My great-granddaddy was in poverty in the Great Depression on all sides of my family, right? But this guy, the world turns to him because of his last name. It just, it burns me alive. And I don't understand how that rage isn't in everybody who has to work for what they have. How does it not burn you up? Almost virtually every single person under the sound of my voice right now, everybody online, everybody in the radio audience, WZZA, WHIV, and WVNN here in Huntsville, even the conservative station here in Huntsville, virtually everybody under the sound of my voice has to work for what we have. But this guy, Bill Ford, because of his last name, the whole world turns to him when he has something to say. It's just, ah, it eats me up. I don't, and, and I don't understand how it doesn't eat everybody up. Okay, but, so... Here was the the overarching message that Bill Ford had. This was the this was the theme and what he wanted to get across. Let's play this clip. And I call on my great UAW colleagues, some of whom I've known for decades. Many are close personal friends. We need to come together to bring an end to this acrimonious round of talks. Please stop. Please stop is basically the thing. And so in support of his begging the UAW to capitulate to his demands, he does kind of a good cop, bad cop thing. And so first he pulls the super familiar, you know, oh, we're all family. We're in this together. Let's play this clip. This should not be Ford versus the UAW. It should be Ford and the UAW versus Toyota, Honda, Tesla, and all the Chinese companies that want to enter our home market. Toyota, Honda, Tesla, and the others are loving this strike because they know the longer it goes on, the better it is for them. They will win, and all of us will lose. So there we go. A we're a family. It should be us versus the world. Ford and the UAW in it together. Ford versus the world. Ford and the UAW versus the world. So, you know, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't he sentimental? Isn't he so sweet? Uh, but then after that, he turns into something of a mob boss. And so let's, let's listen to, we heard, you know, good guy Bill Ford, and now let's listen to mob boss Bill Ford. 
This is why Ford's ability to invest in the future isn't just a talking point. It's the absolute lifeblood of our company. And if we lose it, we will lose to the competition. America loses. Many jobs will be lost. So will future investments. We'll lose factories like the one we're in here today. And communities will suffer greatly. It's a nice factory you got there. It would be a shame if something happened to it. It's really gross. Really gross to threaten people's jobs like that uh, if you don't get what you want in your negotiations. And even more gross in light of the revelation that Fade Main, Fane made in his Friday address, where in part he responded to Ford. Let's take a look at, at, at what Fane revealed in his live stream. So billionaire Bill Ford made his own speech this week, talking down to us and telling us what we should be willing to accept. Literally the next day, the company made an astounding announcement. Ford Motor E Company said they were going to give an additional 600 million in shareholder dividends this year. That amount of money alone would amount to about a dollar an hour raise for all Ford workers for the entire life of this next contract. Dividends are just throwing money at Wall Street. And I don't have to tell you, lavishing money on people who are already rich doesn't improve the business and it does not improve the economy. It doesn't make Ford more competitive and it doesn't secure a future for Ford. Investing in our members does all of that. That's wild. Having the gall to say, oh, we need to be competitive. We need to be competitive. It needs to be us versus the world. Um, and you have to take this uh, in order that we might be competitive. And then the next day, literally the next day, throw out over half a billion dollars to rich people, to people who are making money because they have money. If the UAW has to sacrifice, if we, if the UAW has to bring down their expectations so that Ford should be competitive, why shouldn't the shareholders? Why shouldn't the shareholders? Why shouldn't people like Bill Ford? And that's how you know that all of this competition stuff is BS. Right. That's how you know that because if if there was if there was even you know a lot of the, a lot of propaganda is good because there's a nugget of truth there, right? That's you know that's how that's how you distinguish good propaganda from bad propaganda or propaganda that is lying to you. That's how you distinguish a good lie from a bad lie. The good lie has a has a, a a kernel of truth. This doesn't even have a kernel of truth because if there was a kernel of truth, you would see Bill Ford coming out and saying, "Here is what, not what, not only what we are asking to take from the UAW or what we are refusing to give to the UAW." Here's what we are willing to sacrifice. Here's the restrictions that we are willing to put on our earnings. Or here is how we will tie our earnings to the earnings of the UAW members so that literally when we win, they win. 
That's what you would see if there was actual concern about competition. You would see them saying, okay, look, we're in a really tight spot. We have all this competition around us. We really need to keep the wages and benefits no higher than this. So in good faith, here's our sacrifice. They never, ever, ever do that. And they have not in this round of negotiations. And immediately after preaching about competition, we need competition. They go and, and, and just shovel money out the door. Okay? So it's BS when you hear all of this. And don't buy it. Uh, and Sean Fain reacted uh, specifically to that language of, you know, not only the competition calling out the hypocrisy of saying we, uh, you know, we need to be competitive while shoveling money out the door to people who already have money. Uh, he also responded to the concept, the concept of, is it the UAW and Ford versus the world? Is that, is that how it is? And is that how it should be? Here's how Sean Fain responded to that. Bill Ford said it shouldn't be Ford versus the UAW. He said it should be the UAW and Ford against foreign automakers. I want to be crystal clear on one thing. The days of the UAW and Ford being a team to fight other companies are over. We won't be used in this phony competition. We will always and forever be on the side of working people everywhere. Non-union auto workers are not the enemy. Those are our future union family. Since the stand-up strike began, we've had thousands of non-union auto workers reaching out, wanting to join our movement. So no, we're not going to partner with Ford in a race to the bottom. And we're not going to partner with the big three to match the low standards of the non-union automakers. Instead, we're going to organize non-union auto workers everywhere. Together, we're going to stand up and take on corporate greed. Right now, we're striking the big three like we've never struck before. Next, we're going to organize non-union auto companies like we've never organized before. And together, auto workers are going to fight to make sure that auto jobs everywhere are good jobs. Jobs that can sustain a family. Jobs that allow everyone to retire with dignity. Jobs that are essential to the green economy without sacrificing our union standards. So there we go. Great message and, uh, and, 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 and exactly correct. Exactly correct. Tesla workers, Hyundai workers, they are not the enemy. They're in the same class as we are, uh, and we need to treat them uh, and, and regard them in that way, uh, because uh, that is, that, uh, that, that's, that's the way that the working class will, um, will improve our lot. And that's the way that we are going to bring the ranks up, not by regarding some sections of the working class as our enemy, but by regarding all of the working class as uh, part of the same fight. So really good stuff there. Um, 
And so I'll wrap up this by uh, uh, going over some of the, you know, the specific details. Uh, he's been mainly sharing highlights and like where things have moved. And so he really comprehensively reviewed the big issues in contract negotiations and where all of the big three stand. And so we'll go through those as well, just to keep the audience informed and let people know where things stand. Um, the big issues are wages, wage tiers, COLA, profit sharing, temps, job security, work-life balance, and retirement. And so on wages, remember, we started at like a like a 7, 8, 9% raise over four years, amazingly. I mean, just really, you know, and those were the proposals that he was throwing in the trash. And that's exactly where a 7, 8, 9% raise over four years after record inflation goes in the trash. That's a BS offer. Um, insulting. Uh, really gross, and and UAW members should remember that actually, uh, and and the entire working class should remember that because that's what they would have given you if you would have accepted it. Seven, eight, nine percent raise over four years, uh, evil, <laughs> wicked. Uh, so that's where the companies were at the beginning, and now they are all at twenty three percent over four and a half years. Uh, so we're getting close to like a, a three times three times where they were at the beginning of negotiations, just on wages. Um, I don't think they're quite where they need to be yet. Uh, the UAW is uh, looking for significant double-digit pay raises to match average pay increases of the big three CEOs, catch up with inflation and make up for decades of falling wages. And that's important to understand because a 23% pay increase, really all that does is breaks them even in 2027 with where they were in 2019. That's all that that does, a 23% wage increase. So, you know, and 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 it's also 23% over four and a half years, right? When you hear 23%, that might sound like, oh, wow, I would like a 23% raise. Well, how would you like a 23% raise over four years? Well, that's actually not kind of out of the norm of what I would expect, right? Um, that's not, that's not, that's not crazy. All that a 23% wage increase does over four years, it gets them basically where they were in 2019, which was not a record year for UAW wages, not by a long shot. Wage tiers, the UAW is demanding the elimination of all tiers. Ford has uh, wage tiers eliminated at Rawsonville and Sterling, uh, and, and that's their parts distribution centers. Um, and, and so they've eliminated wage tiers at all of those places, uh, at, at GM, Ford and Stellantis, um, they have eliminated the wage tiers at parts distribution centers. They'll be making assembly wages. So that's big. That's big news. Wage progressions. You know, this was another big thing. And when you think wage progression, you think, how long does it take from when I'm a new hire to when I hit top rate? Uh, so for me, that was four years. That was four years. Um, and for many UAW members, that has been six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 16 years. So enormous, enormous progressions. And uh, UAW wants to bring it down to 90 days. 90 day progression to top rate. That's what it used to be at one time. Ford and GM are... Uh, saying a three-year progression for current workers, but GM wants to create a new tier and have four-year progression for future hires. Obviously, the UAW is not going to um, 
be uh, uh, they're not willing to create a new wage tier. And Stellantis is still on a four year progression, but that's all still less than it used to be. So making movement there on COLA. The UAW wants COLA, so wages keep up with inflation and our quality of life improves. Propo and, and Ford has proposed to restore the 2009 COLA. GM is approaching 2009 restoration, but not yet there. And Stellantis still has a deficient COLA that is delayed for a year. On profit sharing, the UAW is looking for enhanced profit sharing formula and inclusion of temporary employees. Ford has improved their profit-sharing formula by moving to total company profits, including Ford Credit, and temporary employees will be eligible. GM is going to be maintaining the current profit-sharing formula, and temporary employees with 1,000 hours of work will be eligible. 1,000 hours of work? Do you know how long that is? That is over four years. Probably significantly over four years if temporary employees are also part-time. Uh, so, why... And that's the thing about temporary employees. Why would you have a temporary employee for four years but, right. but for to abuse them and exploit them? Yeah, that's not temporary. That's not temporary. Stellantis uh, wants to maintain the current profit-sharing formula as well, temporary employees, employees not being eligible. And even you know maintaining is improvement from where they were because uh, originally all of the companies wanted uh, concessions on profit-sharing at the beginning of negotiations. On temporary employees, the UAW wants to end the abuse of temporary workers by converting them to full-time after 90 days. Uh, Ford has offered conversion of current temporary employees with 90 days to full-time and wage increases to 21 an hour for remaining and future temps. Automatic conversion of future temps is still being negotiated. Uh, the same thing is still being negotiated. Automatic conversion of future temps at Stellantis. Uh, they're saying uh, they, are, uh, they also want to uh, convert thousands of current temporary employees to full-time and increases of wages to 20 an hour for remaining in future temps. GM uh, says they're willing to implement the conversion of current and future temporary employees with one year to full-time. Wage increases to 21 an hour for remaining in future temps. On job security, the UAW wants the right to strike over plant closures and uh, the implementation of the Working Families Protection Program. Um, and Ford and Stellantis have both granted the right to strike over plant closures. And that alone is really huge. Still not where they need to be on the Working Family Protection Program. GM has rejected the right to strike. Uh, as well as the Working Family Protection Program. On work-life balance, uh, the UAW wants um, more time off more holidays. Ford is uh, willing to give two weeks of paid parental leave and Juneteenth, and uh, that's where they all are. GM, Ford, and Stellantis, all Juneteenth plus two weeks of paid parental leave. On retirement, the UAW wants retirement security for all members. Ford is proposing an increased company contribution of 9.5% plus a dollar an hour to 401k, $3 increase to uh, to pension benefit, and for current retirees, they are offering a deeply inadequate annual lump sum payment of $250. Surviving spouses would be eligible for payments. GM is saying uh, they will increase company contributions to the 401k by 8% plus $1.25 an hour. 
they'll give a $3 increase to pension benefits. And for current retirees, they are offering deeply inadequate one-time lump sum payments of $1,000. Surviving spouses would not be eligible under GM's plan. And Stellantis is offering increased company contribution to 9.5% plus a dollar an hour for 401k, $3 increase to pension benefits. And for current retirees, they've rejected all increases to retiree pay. So, um, obviously, as you can see, definitely some movement there. Bear Post says a thousand hours. Oh, wait a second. Maybe I, I think yeah. I read something wrong. I was, for some reason I had in my mind 10,000 hours. You're right, Bear Post. I apologize. A thousand hours is, is six months, maybe less with overtime. I apologize. We'll amend that in the clip. Thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. Um, so Yeah. Uh, that's where we are. That's where we are on that. Um, definitely, as you can see, some movement there, but not where they need to be. All solidarity with the UAW and uh, looking forward to their eventual win and uh, hopefully getting a tentative agreement with one of these companies. Appreciate everybody in the chat for tuning in. Landon says, showing support from UAW 862. Appreciate that. Uh, Pittsburgh Dude 87 says, we need to be competitive in the race to the bottom. And in fact, that is what Ford and the other companies want. Landon says, Fane is a great leader, doing a great job. Hope UAW members keep morale high. Uh-oh, says, got that right, Landon. Um, Landon, uh, regarding the wage increases, says, I was hoping for at least 30%. I think that's where the UAW is. That's where the UAW seems to be, is that that's kind of their bottom line is 30%. And that is where 30% is actually, you know, you're going to be making some real, some actual gains. It's not going to be huge. Remember, I mean, 23% is basically even with 2019. But that will be an increased quality of life. And so that, you know, that's where we need to be. We need to be uh, continuing to increase the lives, uh, make them better. Uh, for UAW members and for all of the working class. Landon says coal is non-negotiable. Uh, that, that's very, uh, very true, very important. And, and remember with COLA, you know, what that does, if you don't have COLA, cost of living adjustment, all of the risk of inflation is on the workers. Companies always talk about risk. That's why they say um, you know, that's why they say, oh, people who make money because they have money, that's why they should make money for having money, because they're having the risk. They're having a risk. You know, never mind the fact, never mind the fact that if you are, um, <laughs> if you're making money, uh, by having money and by investing, what is the actual risk? The actual risk in that scenario, the worst case scenario is that you lose all your money and you have to work. <laughs> okay, so the actual literal worst case scenario is that you become like everybody else. <laughs> so, you know, I just I think the risk argument is very silly, but they always say that. That's why that's why they say they make the big bucks is because they risk so much. They risk money while workers risk life, limb, uh, you know, permanent disability, injury, sweat, tears, blood. But they risk money, and they might have to be like us one day. <laughs> oh, that would be bad, having to be like us. But that's why they say they get the big bucks, is because they risk stuff. But when workers don't have COLA in union contracts, all of the risk for inflation is on us, right? Because we 
we can't predict what's going to happen with inflation. Nobody would have predicted the huge inflation that we had, um, 10% inflation in 2019, right? When the last contract was negotiated and the last contract did not have COLA, nobody was expecting 10% inflation, and that may be small. Nobody was expecting 10% inflation, so who had to eat that? The workers did. The workers ate all of it. All of the risk of inflation was borne by the workers in the last contract. All of it. All of it. Every single bit. Uh, and so when you have COLA, you shift some of that risk onto the company. You say, look, if inflation increases, uh, then the wage progression should increase. And that's only right. So there we go. Good stuff. Uh, uh, good stuff. Appreciate Sean Fame keeping everybody updated uh, and the opportunity to update the audience. And I know that uh, people are always waiting with bated breath for his weekly updates. And so uh, so it's good to get them. And uh, yeah, Rayel says Sean Fain is destroying the big three. Enjoy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, you know, if, if we want to talk about destroying the big three, they're going to destroy themselves if they don't, uh, if they're not competitive in their wages and benefits and try to make <laughs> them, you know, make themselves a, uh, you know, gold star employer, we could say. All right. So, uh, with that out of the way, let's go ahead. We'll go ahead and go to a break. We're going to be right back. We're going to get to Boss Watch, and we're going to get to some of this stuff with the Alabama Democratic Party. If you've got anything to add, 844-899-8857 is the phone number. Um, but we've got lots of stuff to talk about. And in overtime, we're going to be going into another UAW story at Mack Trucks. Uh, they had a video to start the live stream that we're going to play with you for you. And then we're going to be talking to the Southern Workers Assembly. So lots of good stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. 
We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior'd Law. The name with proven results. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, we got another ad to read. Hometown Action is another new sponsor, returning sponsor. Appreciate their support. Um, so as labor union members... You know, we face our share of challenges in the workplace, but today I wanted to talk about a different kind of challenge, the climate crisis. We've all seen the fury of Mother Nature, the storms that can turn lives upside down in an instant. That's why Hometown Action is launching our Climate Protection Project. We're heading out to 10 rural communities, listening to local folks and taking action with them to protect communities impacted by climate disasters. And we need you our union brothers and sisters, to join us. Together, we can make a difference. Our strength on the job is undeniable, and now it's time to put that strength to work for the planet. Let's protect our communities, our families, and our future. Visit hometownaction.org today and sign up to volunteer for the Climate Protection Canvas. That is hometownaction.org. Also wanted to uh, give y'all a quick announcement. My darling, beautiful wife saw something online about SAG-AFTRA, the SAG-AFTRA strike, and uh, dressing up for Halloween. Um, she was wondering if that meant that um, 
the union was requesting that nobody dress up for Halloween as a character from a struck film. Uh, that is not the case. SAG-AFTRA is only requesting that actors not dress up as characters from struck films. So um, no prohibition on the general public uh, for the or, or no ask to the general public regarding Halloween. Uh, so dress as whoever you want this Halloween. Well, except for racist characters. Don't do not do a racism in your Halloween costumes, please. Be yes. better than that. Yeah, that is... Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, that's good advice. Uh, Mel in the Facebook chat asked me if I was aware of International Paper's latest closure announcements. I was not, but if you look online, you will see that International Paper is permanently closing a container board mill in Orange, Texas, and scaling back pulp operations in Florida and North Carolina, resulting in a total of 900 job cuts. Mm. Devastating. Really bad. <sighs> Not good. Not good stuff, but appreciate that heads up, and maybe we will um, maybe we'll be able to uh, look further into that. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get to Boss Watch. Boss Watch is a segment that we do every week where we take a look at what bosses are doing. Because uh, bosses, like workers, are always on the move. But uh, what they're doing is uh, not always super great in many ways. They are a criminal syndicate. <laughs> Breaking the law, stealing, harassing, uh, putting people in danger all the time, all across the country. And so we bring you a small selection uh, from the U.S. South and the colonies of just some of the instances in which bosses have been caught by the authorities, right? I mean, many of these instances, you can imagine, you know, like minimum wage violations. In what scenario are you going to be able to get away with, a, with paying a worker less than minimum wage? Like, in what scenario would a worker be willing to take less than minimum, wa minimum wage? The only scenario is one in which the worker is incredibly precarious. And so you can imagine that workers that are in incredibly precarious positions might not be terribly likely to want to report their employer to the authorities. Uh, so, you know, the only things that we can tell you are instances in which, in which against all odds, the employers have been caught. But uh, there are no doubt many, 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 many instances of things like this going unreported and unpunished. Uh, so let's start in Kentucky, where the U.S. Department of Labor has found uh, has obtained a federal consent judgment that requires the operator of a Hebron, Kentucky warehouse and distribution center to stop employing children illegally and to not violate federal child labor laws in the future. Uh, very, very stringent uh, consent order. The action addressed Win.IT America Incorporated's illegal employment of children, which investigators with the department's Wage and Hour Division discovered in August of 2023. Investigators determined that the company employed two children ages 11 and 13. 11. Mm. For months at its distribution center. Specifically, the division found several violations by Win.IT America of child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. These violations, including employing one child to operate a forklift, 
which is a hazardous occupation for workers under 18, and tasking another child to pick orders in the warehouse, a prohibited occupation for workers under 16. In addition, the company employed both children for more hours than legally allowed and violated federal regulations that forbid employing workers under 14 years of age in non-agricultural occupations. In addition to ordering the company to comply with federal child la uh, labor regulations, the court required Win.IT America to pay $30,000 in, in civil money penalties and to hire a third-party consultant to provide semi-annual compliance training for all management personnel for a period of three years. Just for some context, in fiscal year 2022, the U.S. Department of Labor found child labor violations involving almost 4,000 children nationwide, an increase of more than 60% over the past five years. The department addressed those violations, assessing employers over $4 million in civil money penalties. Founded in October of 2013, Win.IT America Incorporated is the U.S. branch of Winit Information Technology Company, a Shanghai, China-based integrated supply chain solutions provider with more than 700 employees in the U.S., Australia, Germany, and Great Britain. Heading over to Florida, one of the country's largest public universities, which is surprising because I had never heard of it, has entered into an agreement with the U.S. Department of Labor in which the employer will pay uh, almost $600,000 in back wages, uh, read stolen money, and interest to resolve alleged pay discrimination identified in a routine compliance review. The review of Florida International University by the Department's Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs alleged that from October 1, 2017 to October 1 or to from August 1, 2017 to August 1, 2018, the university paid 163 women employees less than men in similar positions. The institution's failure violated Executive Order 11246, which forbids federal contractors from discriminating in employment based on race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, or national origin. In addition to paying back wedges and damages, the employer agreed to set aside $125,000 for future pay equity adjustments and other pay equity-related activities and to take steps to make sure its compensation practices and policies are free from discrimination. Florida International University entered into an early resolution conciliation agreement to resolve the allegations. The university provides basic educational, uh, basic research, educational uh, and uh, research and development, consultant and consulting and security services to the federal government. It also holds contracts with the Department of Defense, the Agency for in International Development, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Health and Human Services, and NASA. Florida International University is a multi-campus public university serving South Florida that emphasizes research as a major component in the university's mission. With a student body of more than 55,000, FIU is among the top 10 largest universities in the nation. Right here in Alabama, Dollar General has agreed to pay $1 million and provide other relief to settle a lawsuit filed by the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission alleging that its hiring process violated the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, the federal agency announced last week. According to the lawsuit, after making job offers to work at its Bessemer, Alabama distribution center, Dollar General required applicants to pass a pre-employment medical exam, during which they were required to divulge past and present medical conditions of family members such as cancer, 
diabetes, and heart disease. The EEOC also alleged that Dollar General used qualification criteria that screened out qualified individuals with disabilities. For example, Dollar General rescinded job offers to applicants whose blood pressure exceeded 160 over 100 or who had less than 2050 vision in one eye, even when those impairments did not prevent the applicants from safely performing the job. The EEOC filed suit after its Birmingham district office completed an investigation and first attempted to reach a pre-litigation settlement through its voluntary conciliation process. The EEOC sued on behalf of a class of 498 applicants who were required to divulge family medical history during the hiring process and on behalf of another class of qualified applicants whose job offers were rescinded based on their impairments. Dollar General discontinued its practice of requiring pre-employment medical exams for these warehouse jobs after the lawsuit was filed. Under the 27-month consent degree settling the suit, in addition to monetary relief, Dollar General must review and revise its ADA and GINA policies and distribute them to all individuals involved in the hiring process should they require, resume requiring medical exams. In addition, Dollar General must require their medical examiners not to request fam family medical history. They must consider the medical opinion of an applicant's personal physician, and they must inform applicants how to request a reasonable accommodation if needed. The decree also requires Dollar General to provide annual training to all individuals involved in the hiring process on the ADA and GINA and to post a notice to employees on their rights under these statutes and how to file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC. Heading over to Virginia, the U.S. Department of Labor has obtained a consent judgment in a Virginia federal court to, uh, to recover over $200,000 in stolen wages and liquidated damages from a Williamsburg restaurant that shortchanged 62 employees of their overtime wages intentionally. The court action follows an investigation by the department's Wage and Hour Division that found restaurant Food for Thought and owner Howard Hopkins paid kitchen staff straight time rates for all hours worked, including hours over 40 in a work week, which denied them required overtime rates. The employer also failed to keep accurate records of employees' hours worked and did not display federal minimum wage posters as required. The order entering the consent judgment in the U.S. District Court uh, on October the 4th requires the company and Hopkins to pay $100,000 in back wages and an equal amount in liquidated damages. They must also pay $50,000 in civil money penalties for the intentional nature of the violations. The order forbids them from future violations of the law. <laughs> I always love that addendum to a lot of these consent orders. Uh, it's it's always such a funny thing. Like, oh, hey, uh, you, you, these these punishments, included in the punishment is um, you can't break the law again. We'd rather you not. Yeah. That's always a really funny add to that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there we go. Boss watch. <clears throat> so last up, uh, you know, there's been a lot of news relating to the Alabama Democratic Party. Adam, you've been following it a little bit closer than I have. Uh, what's been going on over there? Sure. So, you know, the big news politically in Alabama is the congressional district map. Uh, for those of you who maybe are outside of Alabama or have missed it, uh, Alabama will have a new congressional map for the 2024 elections. Uh, a district court found that Alabama's maps were unconstitutional or they violated the Voting Rights Act. Essentially, they deprived 
African-American Alabamians of a second congressional district of their choosing. Uh, and so we're going to have a, a second congressional district that ostensibly will go to a black representative. And of course, that'll be a second seat for Democrats. Currently, there's only one Democratic seat in Congress for Alabama of our congressional districts that is held by Representative Terry Sewell. She's the only black representative in Alabama. So all that is expected to change, which should be, of course, a, a big win for Alabama Democrats who desperately need such a win. Um, they were totally destroyed in the 2022 elections, um, so much so that in many cases, the libertarians actually had more candidates on the ballot than Democrats. Statewide. Statewide, statewide they did. Uh, statewide they did, and also on my ballot personally in Limestone County. I know that was the case, and, and certainly I'm not alone there. Uh, and that was just kind of a taste of, of what that election was all about, right? Uh, over 60% of Alabamians did not even participate in the 2022 election, right? So there's a, there's a, lot, to, a lot to be done there. The Alabama Democratic Party has been in the midst of infighting for years, and it has um, reached a new stage uh, to kind of catch people up. Back in 2019, the Alabama Democratic Party amended its bylaws and at that point expanded certain caucuses like the Youth Caucus, the LGBTQ Caucus, other minority caucuses in the party. Um, this was opposed in, on some level by folks in the Alabama Democratic Conference, which is, uh, you know, the official black caucus of the Alabama Democratic Party led by Joe Reed. And so there's been some back and forth over the past few years. Um, a ally of Joe Reed, who is uh, Randy Kelly, was elected back in 2022 under those bylaws and pretty quickly went to work trying to change the bylaws. So in May of 2023, there was this really contentious meeting in Montgomery among all the folks in the Alabama Democratic Party, what they call the SDEC, the State Democratic Executive Committee. And folks actually, you know, elect most of those. Um, when you vote in a Democratic primary in the spring, uh, you'll actually pick people to represent you in, in this body of the party. So... In May, they had this contentious meeting. Um, there were new bylaws that were adopted amid a controversial vote, a lot of uh, allegations of this not being a free, fair election, free, fair vote. Um, and the outcomes of it were the elimination of all these new caucuses that had grown up since 2019. Um, and so folks took this to the DNC and challenged uh basically the legality of the new bylaws as well as their adoption. And it has gone through a hearing process. Both sides have gone back and forth. It was, uh, my understanding, a nine-hour evidentiary <laughs> hearing in Washington, D.C. at the DNC oh, about this. So, yeah, you had, you had the bylaws adopted in May. The challenge been going on all summer. Um, I think it was this September when the nine-hour hearing was held in Washington. Uh, both sides presented their point of view, and um, the DNC has ultimately ruled just in the last few weeks here with their, their uh, you know, 
their resolution to this, supposedly. Um, and so a couple of things that, that they established, first of all, um, according to the DNC, they argue that the chair of the Alabama Democratic Party, Randy Kelly, has not maintained a complete and accurate list of all the committee members during his tenure as chair. Uh, they argue that requisite notice of the meeting was not provided to a number of the committee members, including many of the at-large members of the diversity caucuses, right? So people weren't informed properly of the meeting uh, as required. And at the meeting, current SDEC leadership attempted to impose a $50 fee on at-large diversity caucus members without providing them with prior notice of the fee or that failure to pay the fee could be grounds for removal from the SDEC. And without a mechanism in place to allow these members to pay the fee once they were made aware of it, right? We we spoke to someone on the show, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, who said that they tried to pay the $50 fine and were not allowed to. They were not made aware of it before the meeting. They showed up, were told, hey, basically you have to pay $50 to be allowed to vote and participate. They busted $50 out of their wallet and said, okay, well, tell me where to pay, and, and we're never even allowed to do that. And they did not get to vote, and, and they were, uh, by all means, you know, a legitimate participant in these proceedings. So you had the $50 fee, um, and what the DNC also said is, had these members received proper notice of the meeting and the fee, more members of the SDEC may have been able to participate in the meeting thereby altering the outcome of the bylaws amendment vote because it was a close vote. Uh, some argued that it was not an accurate vote, but at the very least, the DNC argues that had there been proper notice, had the fee been handled properly, bottom line, more people would have voted. More people would have been there. More people would have participated who were there, uh, and that certainly could have changed the outcome. And... Finally, they say that the new 2023 bylaws conflict with the DNC charter and bylaws by denying certain diversity constituencies an equal opportunity to elect at-large members of their choice, right? And, and so, for example, the LGBTQ caucus was dissolved by the state party, and instead the state party says, well, we can appoint people for you on your behalf, more or less. Uh, to a committee that's not the same thing. And so the DNC has argued that there should be a resolution here. Um, it's questionable how much authority they have to order such a resolution. Like at the end of the day, you know, if folks just say, get lost, DNC, we're not going to do it, what can they do in exchange? I think there are things that they could do, but what are they willing to do is maybe the better question. Um, so based on the commitments that the, the state party and, and the ADC as well made at the meeting, um, the DNC has ordered a new vote on the bylaws of the party, and they have also ordered that challengers be given an opportunity to review the proposed bylaws and provide comments before they are put to a vote, um, Something else that has to happen is that a accurate list of all the elected, duly elected SDC members actually has to be prepared. Uh, that is pretty important. 
uh, to know who's actually eligible and supposed to be participating in voting. Um, and so the membership list and the proposal for the bylaws must be submitted by November 28th. Uh, so just over a month from now, and a vote must be held on the compliant bylaws by February 1st, 2024. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch, you know, how this plays out. Um, you know, there were statements from both sides, more or less saying that they wanted to work together. They wanted to try to put some things behind them. Uh, there were some, I've, I've seen other comments from other folks that makes me think that's not so likely. Um Obviously, this isn't the first time we've been down this road in terms of bylaw fights and uh, squabbles over which faction is most influential in the party. So, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, we'll see what happens November 28th. We'll see what happens February 1st. Um, but at the end of the day, as I, as I open this segment, the bottom line is that the Alabama Democratic Party was not and has not been a viable political party in the state for quite some time outside of a few token areas that has been gerrymandered. And as you alluded yeah. to earlier with that segment about um, the UAW workers, a lot of the Democrats who are in office are in safe Democratic seats. Um, all of them. Uh, yeah, right? basically I mean, is all there, of them. Is there a single Democrat in office in Alabama whose district is less than... 70% democratic voters? I would have to I would have to confirm that, but I think you're you're right that the general trend is that these are not competitive seats, right? There are very few competitive seats in Alabama period, right. democratic or republican. Uh, and so there's just a lot of need when you have over 60% of the population is not engaged in the political process and there are good reasons why. Uh, that's a problem that we have to solve collectively. So it's it's my hope that uh, all these political types can put some things aside, can begin to work together, uh, because at the end of the day, working class people in Alabama <clears throat> need political representation, and we don't have any. Yeah. All right, that is going to be it for us today on the first half of the show find us on facebook and youtube we're going to be continuing for an hour and a half we're going to be talking to the southern workers assembly about their work here in the southern united states it's going to be a good chat um also going to be talking about mac trucks taking your calls at 844-899-8857 that is 844-899-tvlr like the stream if you haven't yet we've got 50 60 people watching us and only 37 likes let's get the numbers up and uh subscribe if you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. We are at 6,990-some-odd subscribers. So, I so think, close to 7,000. I think even by the end of the stream, we can get to 7,000. If just a few of y'all aren't subscribed, then you go ahead and do that. So subscribe to the stream. Uh, like the stream. Find us on Facebook and YouTube. Um, all power to the workers. See you next week.